Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, the value of travel, making memory markers, and the drive to survive. This is Obstacle Course. Here we go. Andrew, you're back. Six weeks, buddy. I'm back. I've been uh, on a six-week adventure with uh, my lovely travel partner, Sarah, who uh, joined us today on this episode. That was amazing. Yeah, you they traveled the planet, and you do not have the coronavirus, right? Don't have the coronavirus. So, yeah, which is why we're able to record today. Yeah. Did, did you think that you might get it? So, <laughs> yes. Yeah, right? <laughs> because of our... Every time because, you logged in? Yeah, because of news media and, yeah. and every headline yeah. in every airport. <laughs> right. Is like warning you that you could die of coronavirus. Yeah, and you probably will. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it it's interesting because so one thing I was thinking is does like does that make anyone actually safer? Right. To to promote it like that because when we were coming back, we we were checking for updates on it because you know it, it's being advertised as a global pandemic. Yeah, and you're going through tons of airports. Yeah, and, and we're yeah we're in international airports yeah. and. It yeah, of course your your mind goes to like you know am I safe? Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is like yes, there's there was a, a couple of days ago there had been forty thousand cases worldwide reported, and a f- small fraction of those were deaths. And so you look at the numbers of what people are getting sick with and dying from worldwide. Forty thousand of anything out of seven eight billion is is it is nothing well and i have the updated numbers okay i looked at this so i went to the who website the um the world health organization yeah and here's here's the updated stats so coronavirus right now has reached seventy thousand people okay now it's really jumped in the last couple weeks because they changed how they um detect for it so that's why it's jumped but still out of that i don't think 2,000 people have died yet. So, which, no, which is, which is, it's awful that I was going to say 2,000 people is a lot of deaths. Yeah. You know, we want to be sensitive to that. But, but what you're saying is like, you know, 70,000 have got it, 2,000 have died. Not a huge stat. But, you know, the winter flu. Exactly. Like, right? You know what the stats are for that? I checked that too. How many people have died? So, annually, how many do you think are affected by the World, Worldwide? Yeah. Yeah. Cause this is, it's what I said to Millions. you. Millions. It's what I said to you. <laughs> Like on a text, yeah. Because we were texting about it. I was like, "Well, how many people have died yeah. like, of influenza?" And so yeah. you checked. So I checked, and it's three to five million people every year <laughs> get influenza, and four to five hundred thousand of those people die. Yeah. So so why that's horrible? So why is it then? Yeah. That there's these scares of bird flu, of SARS, yeah. of coronavirus that yeah. become the lead headline on mm-hmm. every news media outlet. Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. I think w- the one that you're going for right away is, <laughs> is <laughs> yeah. the obvious, right? Yeah. This is the news and, you know, they love the scoop and they make money off exactly. of it. Exactly. They're I making mean, money. Ultimately. But that being said, the coronavirus is highly, highly contagious. I mean, basically, like if you're in contact with someone with coronavirus, you will get the coronavirus. Yeah. Doesn't mean you're going to die and you probably won't, in fact. The, the stats are under 2% of people that have got it, have died from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and hardly any children, by the way, which is very interesting about mm. this one. Yeah, it's mostly just old people. Tough kids out there. Yeah. But but I think the reason is, is because it's new. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we're in, you know, you said it on a previous episode. We live in a world where it's just like literally our whole human experience can be controlled. Uh, we don't know if something, look it up on Google. You can adjust anything. All of a sudden you have a disease where we don't know where, it came, you know, well, they kind of know where it came from. They don't know what it's going to do. They don't know. They have no cure for it. And so it just sends people into a well, pandemonium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's not the virus or the doctors. It's the media because yeah. whipping people up into a frenzy gets no. more hits and they get more advertising money. Right. Like bottom line. How many viruses, new viruses like this one had come out before 24-hour news media and they were just notes in laboratory you know, observations and people were still dying of influenza more than whatever this True, new thing is. True, but I mean, there still was like the Black Plague and stuff like that. Right? For sure. But Which this, it would have been handy. But this is getting marketed like it's the Black, the black Plague. Right, true. Where, you know, which wiped out like 30% of Europe. Oh, I know. And it's like people get the idea that this is the next Black Plague because of the news media and it doesn't make anyone safer. It just, you know, makes everyone go out and buy a mask that may or may not even be effective against this strain of virus and it, it just i it, it's frustrating because it it has no relevance on your own personal safety and you're just they're playing on weakness and fear and okay so if you are living in china how you know wouldn't you maybe be glad that they were a bit conservative for, you know for sure if you're in that province yeah. where there's an outbreak yeah that's justified. Right. If you're living in Canada or you're traveling in Chile, then is it necessary to get scared? No. So we talk about balance because we don't want anyone listening to this to be thinking we're just being insensitive about, you know, you may have had a friend or a family member who, who've caught this disease. In fact, I did have a friend who was uh, visiting in Thailand, Norm Souden. What's up, Norm? A really well-known guy on the island, nicest guy in the world. And we got word back that he was being tested for the coronavirus. It was just shocking and it made it real for me because I was like, all of a sudden, I know somebody who may have it. It turns out he actually didn't. It was the H1N1. But I mean, he really thought it, it might happen. And and that's kind of changed my thinking a little bit just to be like, you know what? Like, if I knew somebody who was dealing with it, I probably would be glad that there was reports and that there was people being like, don't travel. And that there were like quarantining cruise ships. You, you've heard about those cruise for ships. For sure. And I'd probably, if I had a family member on those cruise ships, I'd be glad. Yeah. And, and so there's cruise ships do get quarantined for yeah. outbreaks of all kinds of different yeah. viruses and, and flus. It, and yeah, it's a, it's a good safety precaution. I will say the one thing about China is people, I, I heard there was a conversation behind me on the plane, a guy who's living in Beijing, and the guy was asking like, oh, you know, are, are you going to wear a mask when you go home? And, and he's like, well, yeah, we have to wear a mask anytime we go outside. Anyways, yeah, yeah. you can't go outside in Beijing right. without, one, without a mask on because of, of, because of the pollution. Yeah. And so, you know, isn't that a bigger deal? The fact that you can't ever go outside because of the toxins that are being put into the air. Toxins. I think I said toxins. But (laughs) because the toxins that are being put in the air 100% of the time that are actually killing people, that are actually causing all of these new forms of cancer. Like, isn't that more newsworthy and something to actually worry yeah, about? Yeah, Andrew, I think you're missing the point. Like, can you make as much money off that story? <laughs> yeah, no, we probably not. <laughs> no, but I, I think what I hear you saying is just balance, right? Like, of course they need to report on it. 
some a new a new disease that's like super contagious they need to let us know okay don't travel to this this place um that's balance right do they need to have it like come up in every single social media feed and dominate the news probably not mm -hmm. so i don't i don't know how to control that and achieve that balance with the media yeah it's, see it's, see it's my big, thing is that like question. i just don't trust the media right the those huge media corporations to give me information that I actually need. Right. I, I, I think we should be very, very careful about where we look to for trust, trusted information because... Who's your most trusted source um, when you look at the news? I would say Fox, probably. Yeah. Fox News is like the most, I think, fair and Not balanced. Yahoo? Fair and balanced is their uh, slogan, or at least it was a, a couple <laughs> of years ago. Uh, and mm -hmm. so they're, I think you, you, you get no... No BS from those guys, from no. Hannity and friends. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Yahoo, anything that comes up in your Facebook feed. <laughs> so those would be the top three. Yeah. But I've actually heard um, seriously that uh, BBC is probably, probably BBC the best. BBC and The Guardian. I, I tend to... Maybe. The Guardian? C CBC. I think, I think CBC is actually fairly um, non-inflammatory. Um, Man, but uh, my Albertan friends are, <laughs> they're going to be cringing right now. And, and, you know, the thing is, um, we, what we think is reliable is probably just something that agrees <laughs> with our own political views yeah, and, and like social views, which is that's true. just our own biases that are being, yeah. that are being agreed with. That's so, so true. um, the thing that was funny though, I mean, we, <laughs> is, um, uh, is uh, they just came out with the report that Corona beer sales have now plummeted 5% because dumbasses all across the world are thinking they're somehow connected. And if that's not like a, a picture of the state of where we're at as when it comes to media and social media and everything that, I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and Andrew and, and Sarah do talk on this episode, folks, about some very difficult moments. There was, yeah. There were some fun adventures for sure, and some that were a little closer to the brink than maybe we had expected or um, would have intentionally chosen, but maybe it was a, an unintentional choice that brought us to that moment. And I hope everyone enjoys tuning in and, and hearing a little bit about what we experienced and uh, a few obstacles that came across our path. Fantastic stories, folks. Andrew sucks at selling himself but i mean there's, these are some really really good stories that that you really want to tune into and i just want to say it's been two months since we've been in the studio it's yeah. so nice to be back i don't think there's too much rust to be honest so it's great to be back and we got an amazing lineup for you this year folks uh some truly truly wonderful people some new york times best-selling authors and some some uh, psychologists who, who are actually are ex experts when it comes to anxiety oh. and, and, and panic. We said we wanted to have new kinds of conversations this year, and we're, we're already set up for success. So, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Enjoy the ride. Thanks for being here. Yeah. We're back. We're back. Six weeks, man. Yeah, it's been even longer than six weeks since we've been in the same room. It's been yeah. like two months. Two months, yeah. Since we've been in the studio, and here we are, right back like we never left. No, you won't hear any rust today, folks. Well, no more than, <laughs> no more than normal. Because Andrew least. will edit it all away. <laughs> yeah. If you're hearing a very uh, gleeful high voice right now, folks, that's, yeah, uh, that's John Close. John... <laughs> that's my new laugh. <laughs> He's just so happy to have Andrew back. Yeah. yeah. I'm just giddy. 
Well, we got Sarah in the in the studio today. Mm-hmm. Andrew's a better half. Yep. Other half. Or yeah. Just half. It's more like a third, actually. She's, <laughs> she's, she's, she's kind of small. <laughs> Is that how it works? Ratio wise, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, the reason we're here is because, is because uh, these guys had an epic trip, six weeks, and um, they told me nothing. I tried to get some some little vignettes or some little uh, cool stories from them, and they just didn't share anything. So I said, okay, when you get back, then we have to record an episode. Yeah, we had a South American adventure. We just returned from like four days ago, basically. Mm-hmm. We still have the remnants um, of a, a nice... Nice glow and uh, and a new facial feature. I was gonna say, nice big, uh, <laughs> a big, big mustache. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, it just appeared down there and it came back home with me. So it's like the <laughs> yeah. puppy that wanders up to the house and you just can't get rid of. It's you just true. can't get rid of yeah. it. So yeah, we uh, we have some stories to share. We we were telling you a little bit of what happened and you're like, oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. It, we we have to do a podcast episode about yeah. this. And I was like, I really did I, say that. I don't know if we do. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this what what happens when when you go away when you go backpacking? The answer is no. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, and so Andrew and Sarah travel very differently than I would say ninety five percent of the population. Most people. Well, we're going to talk about this, but I, I think when most people travel, I think they travel to get away and escape and relax, mm-hmm. to get away from the grind. Mm-hmm. You guys traveled with a grind, like you traveled to the grind. Yeah. It almost seemed like. Well, I think a big part of escaping or relaxing for us is doing that sort of thing is and it involves uh, some some semblance of adventure or being outside the comfort zone and i yeah i I do see there's a a big difference between like being very firmly in comfort and luxury oh for sure and being kind of outside of the comfort zone um and should we yeah you wanted to start by kind of painting a bit of a picture give people an idea of what we're what you're talking about yeah so folks if you're wondering like what do we mean by adventure traveling or traveling to the grind like do you have so many stories of times where you were in like real peril and i never use the word peril i reserve (laughs) it for times when people's you know lives it's like they're probably gonna be fine but you know there's a chance that Mm -hmm. they could really things could go down yeah quickly yeah you're not one to exaggerate no i'm not i never do (laughs) You never have in your entire life no. even come close to exaggeration. There's a million times I could have and I didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we want to start with maybe one of the more perilous parts of your journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it makes sense to talk about John Gardner Pass. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. So, Sarah, do you want to do you want to paint the picture? Where where were we? Uh, where is John Gardner Pass? If a person wants to find it in an atlas. So pretty far south. Basically, <laughs> as far south as you can go before you hit uh, Antarctica. So we flew into Santiago and flew all the way down to Punta Arenas, which is looking out on the Strait of Magellan. Very cool if you're kind of into history, which we are. Really into the naval history on there. Um, super remote. Very, very remote. Flying in was pretty neat. It was just like, there's just nothing there. It's just yeah. bare. There's no trees. Like the wind is crazy. There's just nothing. There's nothing around. And then from there, you take a bus about three hours in to um, a really famous national park called Torres del Paine. And so that's where we were headed. That was basically why we went to South America, mm-hmm. to head to this specific park. Yeah. Some of the best trekking, long distance trekking really in, in the Americas um, mm-hmm. was what, what drew us in. And these spectacular peaks and huge glaciers and um, yeah, really re- remote and interesting, although 
part of the, our surprise when we got there because we didn't really know what to expect was there's despite being at the bottom of the planet a, a few hundred kilometers from antarctica basically and there was these like amazing kind of luxurious lodges set up around the park that people could mm-hmm. just could go and stay in so it was a, a real stark contrast between complete remoteness at the end of the world and modern yeah. luxury and, and i mean it's not it's not like high high end but there's no but you're sleeping in a bunk inside and you can get a beer and a pizza and yeah and it's funny coming from here where we've done you know the west coast trail and you have to take everything with you and you're sleeping in your tent and it's only a few hours drive away whereas you fly you know we it was like 30 something hours to get down there and then you have to bus and then you have to hike and and so you're in the most the most remote location possible but you have like a full service hike experience it was a little bit of a strange contrast, actually. Well, and we're going to mm-hmm. dig into all that stuff. But, mm-hmm. like, take us to that moment. Yeah. So, so John Gardner Pass, it was uh, day eight of the nine-day hike. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, had, we had some fatigue in our legs. We'd gone probably, like, 140 kilometers or so mm-hmm. up to that point. Um, but it was the highest point on the trail is about 1200 meters above sea level and you're you're starting from zero you're starting from sea level basically so it's it's a ways up there and um and it had like kind of this ominous feel to it like everyone was kind of like waiting for this moment of of getting up to the pass and the night before the weather really started coming in then the weather had been perfect basically for the whole trail Mm -hmm. but then we got to um to this lodge, Peros, can't, yeah, Los Peros. Los Peros, which means the dog. Um, Every other one was like named for a person or a mountain, and then you get to Los Peros. We're like, oh, that's strange. And then it was like, it was pretty fitting. Mm-hmm. We were the first people to actually get in there that day. We started pretty early. And as we were, you know, we went through this really lovely, beautiful hike, nice forests. <clears throat> and right before we got in there, probably the weather just opened up. Like, we were doubled over, just started sprinting with our backpacks mm-hmm. on because it was just so rainy, like coming at us like wow. crazy, just soaked right away. And so we ran, basically ran into the camp, got our stuff set up and sort of through the afternoon, people were trickling in and that's the whole, you know, tensions building because everyone's working ourselves up. We've been hiking with the same people kind of night to night. So everyone's just been talking about it now. It's like, oh, okay, tomorrow morning we're going up and it's really coming down. And so we were kind of building for each other this this anxiety and at one point andrew was like we all need to just take a breath you know we're not climbing mount everest tomorrow like we're just going over this pass it's really we're just we're gonna laugh about this tomorrow Mm -hmm. which you know i said with with almost full certainty that (laughs) (laughs) that that we were blowing it out of proportion Uh and i was wrong yeah um (laughs) yeah later in the evening when we were at los peros the rain turned to snow and like snow in you know near Antarctica might be expected, but this is the middle of their summer. Yeah, I was going to say. So you said it was really nice. So what are the what's the temperature at that point? When we were hiking during the day, probably 12, 14 degrees mm-hmm. Celsius. Um, so that which, is which that is, is nice. pretty pretty pleasant. Yeah, yeah. yeah like it, you could wear like a t- you could wear yeah. a t shirt. Yeah, we were hiking yeah. for the for most days in t shirt and shorts. Right. Yeah, and and yeah, super comfortable. Get okay. a little bit cold at night. Didn't really um, get any rain though. Like. We were yeah. pretty lucky. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once we got up to some elevation, and we were right near a glacier as well. Mm-hmm. We, right. We, yeah. So we, is that your stomach? 
It might mine. be. <laughs> <laughs> definitely hey, it affects, maybe it just affects extroverts. Is that a John thing, too? Yeah, my stomach always, always <laughs> but, does that. With tea, too. But you can hear it through his mouth. Yeah. Not through his stomach. It gurgles well, up. because it's then... open. It's like a gateway. The gurgle comes up. I have my, my mouth larynx. shut, so I'm yeah. not sure where that came from. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I think it's passed. People probably would have missed it. <laughs> they won't now. Yeah. And now they'll be listening for it. <laughs> So anyway, so the other part of the story that kind of set us up for anxiety, at least for me, because I put myself in these kind of situations of I like this kind of travel, but I'm definitely like I like to have things planned and these kind of things can bring up some anxiety for me. So in the afternoon that day, we'd gotten there so early, we went for a little hike and we were about 15 minutes from camp and the weather had been decent, you know, it had been a little touch and go, but it had been fine for probably an hour. So we went for a little hike and it just that was when everything just rolled in. And within that 15 minutes of trying to run back to camp, I was completely soaked and learned a valuable travel lesson (laughs) that I will never, ever do again. Felt so stupid. So I wore all my warm clothes, all of them, (laughs) literally all of them, because it was so cold up there. And I was like, well, going for a hike, I'm just, I'm going to keep layered up. So my long johns, my Uh, tights, and then my wind pants, completely soaked through all of them. No reinforcements. Nope. My boots, my socks. And then I had like my sweater, my down jacket, my rain jacket, everything soaked. So we basically ran back to camp and Andrew and the other girl we were with went to go. There's basically a little like emergency shelter. There's nothing in it, but it's a little closed space. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, we got to go in there. It's pouring. And I just ran for the tent because I had this panic of like, I just soaked everything I have. Yeah, like everything yeah. that I have is soaking wet, completely mm-hmm. soaked. Right. And so I was curled up in this really pathetic little ball in the tent, trying to stay warm in the sleeping bag with my things under the vestibule on the side of the tent, which is a very small tent, just draped, sitting in the mud, getting splashed with all the rain coming up. And I was just sitting there just feeling miserable. And he came and checked on me a couple of times. I was like, you really just got to get out of the tent. I was just sitting there feeling just sorry for myself, basically. Mm-hmm. Is there a metaphor there? So, you, so you, is Get, that is like that, getting out of the tent? Yeah, yeah, getting out of the tent and just like here you're you're in the fetal position, mm-hmm. and we actually talk about the fetal position on the podcast quite often. Mm-hmm. Usually, we're not actually talking about a physical <laughs> yeah, position, yeah. Yeah. but in this I case, you were literally physically oh, yeah. <laughs> in the fetal position. Yep, and struggling. So yeah. what, what was mindset? The, totally what was mindset. racing through your mind? Were you were you scared? Were you mad? Were I, you? I was mad at myself for sure because as we were walking on our hike, it started sprinkling a bit, mm-hmm. and we kind of you turned around and gave me this look like, "Eh, should we go back?" And I literally, <laughs> me specifically, was like, "No, nah, let's go!" <laughs> right, like, right, idiot, idiot. And so I'm lying there just being so mad at myself. And I'm yeah. not great with being cold. No, I am not 100. No. percent uh, What what are you wearing right now? <laughs> well, <laughs> we're indoors. I'm, first yeah, of all, yeah, indoors. <laughs> Space heater was on. I'm cradling my tea. I have a Patagonia sweater on. She may have a toque on. I have well. a toque on and I'm wrapped in a blanket. So, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. not great with cold. Not great right? with cold. Bit, bit of a John Close uh, <laughs> exaggeration. <laughs> yeah. But then, it, you know, you came over a couple times and I realized you were right. And so I put my shorts on and my wind pants and my wet sweater. It's like, this is what you do in this situation. If you do something stupid like getting all your things wet, I know what people do. You have to put your wet clothes on. You have to dry them out. And you just have to be okay with being uncomfortable. Mm. But realistically, what was your other option? Yes. Staying staying in the tent. Like like just laying in the tent and waiting for nothing. I mean, you're just... For the day. Yeah. The whole day. Like the day would just... Yeah. Yeah. And so that was one of the problems with sitting at Los Perros that afternoon is we were there at noon 
people were coming in at one, two, three o'clock. There was nothing to do because it basically poured rain and then started snowing. And you don't want to just go and get your clothes all soaked. And so, <laughs> it's not ideal. So we were, there was probably 30 people or so all in um, the small room, like a like an army barracks kind of style, mm-hmm. just tables and chairs, or tables and benches was all that was in this room and like a sink. Um, and so we were all cooking in there. We were all just kind of sitting in there, just watching the time tick by, waiting for being able to go to bed yeah. so we could get, wake up early the next morning to get over the pass. And so the tension was super high. The humidity was super high because everyone cooked, did all their cooking in there mm-hmm. and was just sitting in wet, damp clothing. Um, trying... And this is your vacation, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We yeah. paid. We like, paid good money for this Remember, experience. folks, they planned this and they wanted to do this. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to dig into that mindset a little bit later. Totally. But yeah. So there you are. So finally, it was like, it was time to turn down mm-hmm. and we um, we decided just to sleep in that shelter rather than go back to our tent because the water mm-hmm. level um, just of the ground, uh, it was starting to rise. So right. every, there, everything was getting mm-hmm. just soaked out there. And we're like, let's just, you know, roll out our sleeping mats and throw the sleeping bags down in here and at least we'll stay dry overnight. We did that with some other people and um, people were in there till 11 o'clock at night, 1130 at night, basically Mm -hmm. like getting stuff as dry as they possibly could. And then people started coming in again at like four o'clock in the morning to, because the the one thing the the rangers said was like, you got to make sure to be out of here by 8 a.m. because they were predicting a storm to come in again, um, basically midday. Mm-hmm. So they weren't that informative, the rangers. Like, they weren't they weren't really stopping you from doing anything or giving that great advice, but they did say, right. um, make sure to start early because it could get pretty treacherous up there. Mm-hmm. So 4 o'clock came around. We were basically awake. We started going around 4.30, 4.45. We started getting ready. Mm-hmm. And then we had um, gotten out of there by right around 7. Uh, but the state of emotion in the shelter that morning before everyone was starting out, it was it reminded me of um, like a disaster response kind yeah. of environment. It kind of sounds totally. like that. Yeah. That was totally yeah, the, vibe, the right? atmosphere. Yeah. yeah. Just this energy, this really like panicked energy yeah. of people just because you're out in the middle of nowhere oh, it's exactly. not like you're on the you know there's it's called the o so the the bottom half is very that's all the big fancy lodges and you can bus in and out pretty easily but once you get around the back of the park i mean you can't just you know no. walk for 10 minutes grab a bus and get out of there you're in the middle of nowhere so it was you know people knew you have to get up and you have to get over this, mm-hmm. this thing. in this shelter you're, you're you're staying in for the night before you do this big trek i mean there's not live music <laughs> you know, there's not a coffee station and, no. and, and nice lighting and couches. Like mm-hmm. like the way you described it, I almost think of like con- like wet concrete. Mm-hmm. Like almost like this like barrack. Like you said, a barracks. Kind yeah. Of idea. Yeah. It was just a, a roof and four walls and so, like Yeah. Yeah. So, so so no real relaxing before you venture no. up. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Definitely not. Right? And I mean, if it hadn't been pouring rain and we could have been like outside sitting around, which is kind of how the setting was in, in at the other camps yeah. on the mm-hmm. hike. It's pleasant. You're just hanging out outside. It's oh, yeah. just camping. But this this um, little spot in itself was like the most. It was it was kind of like why is there even a, a refuge set up here? Mm-hmm. Like it was really it was kind of swampy and like the other ones were like on the lake or um, 
you know, at, at a beautiful lookout or like in a nice big field with a view of the mountains. I mean, and this, the, yeah, this, this was clearly here to help you get over the pass in not such a long day. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, so basically started out around seven in the morning. Um, it was not raining at that point, which was kind of nice. It wasn't snowing, but within an hour or so of climbing, um, we were going through snow and it was starting, it was like, it was tougher walking because going through snow and is slippery. And how long was it supposed to take? Um, I think so. There was like um on the maps there was a a distance and a, a estimated time, and we were faster than that time basically every time. So mm-hmm. we we it wasn't that helpful, but and also some of the markers on the trails were a completely right. different distance than the ones on the map. Like and. Andrew's got a GPS watch. So one day we found one marker that said it was going to be 9K day and one that said it was going to be 13. We're like, well, that's very different. So mm-hmm. we kind of, that was part of the problem we got up there, I think, is that we didn't actually know how far we were going. It was like a nine hour day and as a whole, I think was the estimate. But you, yeah. got, you got up at like 4.30 a.m., right? Yeah. To kind of... But yeah, I yeah. think the hiking was supposed to be about a five to six hour yeah, right. hike right. Um, to up and over the pass and then down to Passos mm-hmm. was the next one. So yeah, we we'd hiked for a couple hours, pretty good hiking conditions. Like it was pretty cool actually being out in the snow because we'd, we'd been going there'd been no sign of snow other than the very top of mountains mm-hmm. the whole time. So it was a bit unique. We were there with our two um friends we'd met from Quebec. Um and yeah, we were we were kind of just going along and then midway up, a couple hours in, things started getting like fairly extreme like the winds started picking up and patagonian winds are kind of legendary for their ferocity especially in the summer uh, that's when it, it's the windiest and we were right in the middle of summer and it's not unusual to get wind gusts of 180 kilometers an hour wow. in southern patagonia so, so, i mean that's like hurricane type winds. oh right? yeah yeah it's, it's basically like hurricane force winds yeah um and so Wind started picking up. We were going up quite a bit of incline, and the snow was really just coming down. And as we continued on, visibility just got worse and worse. And are your clothes still kind of wet at this point? Oh, yeah. I was wearing shorts <laughs> with my windbreaker pants over top oh because everything God. else was soaked. Actually, the night before, Andrew did, oh like, the God. most gentlemanly thing. He took my long johns, like, beat them for hours, wore them around oh, his torso, so oh that by the time God. I wore them to bed, they weren't that wet. I was like, well, I got to save those for nighttime because yeah. after we hike today, again, if it's freezing, I have nothing to wear. So, yeah, we were, I mean, fitness-wise and gear-wise pretty prepared. But, I mean, not for midwinter conditions, definitely. Mm-hmm. But when you're wet, I mean, it just... It sucks. Yeah, but we, as long as you're moving when you're hiking, you don't really notice the cold. Mm-hmm. And you just you kind of get through it. And, and it started to get blustery and it started to get the visibility started getting worse, but still like cold wasn't really the issue. It was kind of just like, okay, keep going. Um, and we'll just get up over the pass and you're kind of following that there was one group ahead of us that we knew and kind of just keeping an eye on them and going the same way because the trail markers were basically non-existent at this point. Um, there was sticks like, like not like stakes, just pieces of branches that they'd, plunked into the ground and spray painted orange on the top and and that was basically <laughs> what you had official. to follow yeah and yeah. maybe in a normal like maybe there's normally a path you can see but i mean at right. some points i was stepping into snow up to my thigh like that oh. was and we did not expect that at all so i mean we're kind of just 
So was it kind of like almost like whiteout conditions? Mm -hmm. Yeah, visibility when we were up near the top was like 10 meters kind of thing. was as far as you could see. You know what I'm picturing? That scene in Lord of the Rings when they're going up the mountain? Yeah. That's what I'm picturing. Yeah. So, so yeah, I feel proud. Which, I'm which, putting you up there. With that scene. <laughs> which I was, I was reading during the trip. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and yeah. you know what they did? They turned around. <laughs> <laughs> Take that. Yeah. yeah. But we yeah, didn't. That was the, right. that was the hard part. Is because we were just kind of going along, and it was mostly fine. You know, deep snow. There's some wind. Oh my gosh, it's crazy, but it's kind of fun. And then by the time it got to the point where it was like, wow, I can't even stand up. We'd gone so far. So we're like, well, what if it's just over this next summit, right? So we kept seeing these false summits and just being like, well, you know, at what point do you... You don't know if it's closer going forward or back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you kind of started to lose orientation. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we we knew like approximately how long it should take and kind of keeping an eye on the watch. But the trail markers and like the distances had been off on the maps, basically the entire hike. Mm -hmm. And... After hiking for two and a half hours, when it started getting gnarly, we were two and a half hours. We knew we were two and a half hours back to the camp the other way. And we thought, okay, maybe half an hour, 45 minutes at the most, we should be at the top of this thing. And yeah, it definitely got disheartening when we got, you could see the, what you thought was the top of a hill. You got the top of there and you were just looking at further and further climb so like you hear these you hear these like phrases all the time you know that we don't use for situations like this you know we just use in real life like the point of no return or Mm -hmm. you can't go back now and all this kind of stuff it's like you really were living those phrases like you're like okay even if we wanted to turn back it's another three hours so we have to keep moving totally Mm -hmm. so there's that pressure almost you know almost that that kind of and you don't know how much further it is so you can't gauge your Mm -hmm. mental sort of strength Mm -hmm. Mm because often that's how we decide you're out for a run okay I got 4k left I can push through Mm -hmm. but when it's white out and snow and it's like I don't know maybe it is this far it must be hard mentally yeah it it started getting a little worrisome when we were getting to where we thought was close to the top there was one spot where I thought it was the actual pass where we were in like a bit of a a narrow rocky kind of shoot and we went through that and that's when the first time the wind got really really extreme because it was coming through this chute and i was like okay this might be it and i even kind of like went um looked back to jeff who was one the the guy from quebec that we were hiking with and kind of like gave him a thumbs up like oh i think we're (laughs) i think we got this and then realized like no this is not the top and that was pretty disheartening and um and then it started at least that kind of like affected the mentality a little bit and which is never what you want no and that was at the point too so then you start to get disheartened like well how far are we going here but then at the same time like andrew (laughs) turns around because we we were fairly prepared for like a regular hike but i mean he's got running gloves on because we don't expect there to be snow so at one point he turns around and his gloves had totally frozen and he just turns Mm -hmm. around and the wind was like i was doubled over like doubled over with my pack and i would try to put my head up and it would be whipping snow in my face so much i couldn't even i was completely (laughs) bent over so like it's pretty extreme and he turns around and just yells across the wind i think my fingers are freezing and i just kind of remember staring back at you and all i just was okay (laughs) because i was like i don't know how to help you right now you know i don't know what to do about that yeah like (laughs) what are we supposed to do was it helpful having those quebec friends yeah, it was yeah. great having yeah. having a couple, another couple there, and and just like the, yeah. the bit of pack mm-hmm. mentality and like looking out for one another. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of 
really experienced people up on the mountain that day and no one was anticipating this these kind of conditions Mm. um because it was just a, a storm came in and it was it was like their peak winter conditions in the middle of summer um and it took a lot of people by surprise so yeah my fingers i was never felt this before but yeah my gloves were soaked and then froze and then yeah my fingers started to freeze and so i went from like fingers were or hands were really cold to i'm losing feeling in my hands to i have no feeling in my hands and so i actually i was like i gotta take these gloves off because they're just making it worse and so i took the gloves off got sarah to pull my sleeves up over my hands so i had like a, a dry layer over top of them and then put my hiking poles just under my arm and the last half an hour or so i was hiking up with no poles and just with the poles <laughs> stuck under my arm at one point my foot my foot broke through uh what i thought was a, a pack on the side of a frozen stream and like plunged my foot into an, an icy stream oh, um there was parts of the the trail that were completely frozen and just like slipped with both feet and like landed on both knees just onto the ice Uh, one time kind of got blown kind of slipped just fell (laughs) sideways into a snowbank um and just had to like prop myself back up it was crazy did the cold showers help prepare you for this i think so yeah yeah probably wim hof would have been fine yeah (laughs) He would have been shirtless, being like, just breathe, you motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> breathe. Well, well, honestly, that that's all we could really do because yeah. I was never at the point where I was actually like fearful, like life or death, but I did have the thought going through my mind, like I might lose fingers. Wow. That's because intense. of this. Yeah. If like, if we don't get over this pass wow. and start getting down, um, my fingers are, are frostbitten. So they, yeah. they could be in, in trouble. Well, we took... We took a photo after we got over the pass. I mean, we basically started sprinting down the mountain because the weather completely changed immediately. Right. Like there was way less snow. You could kind of just scamper down at that point. And then there's this huge glacier, which on a nice day, there's this amazing view you're rewarded with, which we could barely see because it was so cloudy. But we still took a picture of the other couple and them of us just to be like, yeah, we just got over this thing. And you zoom in on our faces and it was actually shocking because I knew like my face was painful. But there's like big patches of white all around my eyes it's like yeah our skin was actually starting to freeze because wow. we were up there for so long mm-hmm. yeah it it was a, like it really showed the power of exposure to nature yeah. and when nature goes sideways like it it you are at its mercy completely then the point where we had actually gotten to the real top of the pass was more than i've ever felt in my life just an overwhelming sensation of hope because mm-hmm. we were in a bit of a tough situation if the one thing I was worried about was anyone from our group just like slipping and like spraining their ankle or, yeah. or like, you know, breaking a wrist or something mm-hmm. like that. Because then if that had to happen, then it would have been really dire. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you, if you weren't able to keep moving in that, and that's what we were yelling to one another, just like, just keep going. Mm-hmm. Like, we got this, we're doing good. Just, just keep moving. Cause it, but if you couldn't move, if you went somehow like either mentally or physically, you would have it would have been in a pretty extreme situation um but yeah the the feeling of of hope reaching mm-hmm. the top and knowing like okay we just got to go down like mm-hmm. this is going to be fine um i just it was like a full body sensation mm-hmm. and it was quite powerful actually mm-hmm. but you uh, couldn't cry because your tears were frozen yeah <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah if you Every- could have yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah everything was yeah but it was um 
in yeah, relief powerful. too, I guess. Uh, yeah, but like, it it just felt it just felt like uh, hope. Uh, like okay, we have hope again. It, mm. it was just it made me think about other situations and, and how important still being able to hold on to hope mm. it can be. Did you have a moment like that? I don't know that I did necessarily, yeah. but so I everyone's was, experience is different. Yeah, yeah, we talked about it after because I was journaling yeah. about it and Andrew read it and then he was like, "That's so different than how I was yeah. feeling." And yeah. we hadn't totally talked about that. Like we talked about how extreme it was, but hmm. not necessarily how we were feeling. But for me, it was interesting because, you know, when you're like, I'm not, I'm fit, but I'm not an athlete. So I, I don't often push myself to that point where your muscles are really tired and your body's really done. But we are, when we were in the middle of it and we hadn't got to the pass yet and we didn't know how far it would be. And I remember climbing up, we were going up this really steep ridge and my legs were just, you know, eight days of ascent, yeah, tired. For sure. And I just like didn't even recognize it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really think about it till retrospectively of just, there was a, another gear I was in where it wasn't even like I was cold, like really cold and my legs were exhausted and my back hurt and like it was a struggle because you're hunched over. And it was like, I didn't even notice that whole time. Like I had kicked into this whole other level of like, you can't stop. You don't get to take a break. Like that's impossible right now. So it was almost like I didn't even... Yeah, I wasn't registering any of that stuff. Same with hope. I just was kind of like, okay, plugging through, we get to the top, excellent. Now I'm going to run down because that's what needs to happen. So yeah, kind of in a different headspace, I I think. I think that's a powerful realization though because there's like so many moments in life where it's just like you can't opt out, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Like if you opted out, you, you could have been in a very, oh, very yeah. dire situation. You wouldn't mm-hmm. have gotten out. Mm-hmm. The only way is just like, just keep moving. You know, mm-hmm. and we say this all the time. You just keep moving. Like literally you had to. Mm-hmm. And so your body, it's almost, it sounds like your brain just went into this different mode of like survival mode. As they say, here comes all these cliches, you know, For but, sure. but true where you're just like one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you just got to keep climbing. Right? I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. if I went yeah. for a run right now, my legs were tired. I'd be like, oh man, I'm so tired. I can't keep going. I gotta stop. Yeah, because you but, can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but as soon as that option was taken away, I don't think uh, I've ever felt in that situation before where I was just like, nope, right. there is no option of, of not doing this and doing it as fast as possible, as carefully as possible. So, mm-hmm. so in that moment, did you, not in that moment, but upon reflection, do you feel like, I am actually a lot stronger than I think. Oh, yeah. It felt great. I was right? like, man, I kicked ass up there. Yeah. Because you know? like you said, if you had that option here, yeah. your, your brain might not kind of go into that mode and you might just be like, well, I mean, yeah. might as well just go back to the car. Totally. Right? Totally. Or just, or just slow down. It's you know? a real, like, it was a real surprise for me from myself, which is pretty There's neat. another gear there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it It is, I think, one of the underlying reasons of why we do put ourselves in those sort of situations for pleasure (laughs) you know okay listeners because they're all screaming why did you do this yeah yeah and and i mean we didn't expect the conditions that day to be as extreme like we were wearing down layers and like waterproof gear Mm -hmm. and you know shitty gloves but still gloves we we had stuff to experience temperatures around zero and and with wind chill we were probably looking minus 20 and and it was um it was really rough conditions at the top but um but yeah we were still kind of we knew that it was going to be a hard hike and we were doing it willingly and you're talking to us and looking at us like we're crazy for wanting to do this on a on a vacation but it does it it shows limits of uh or new limits of ability and and it is kind of a a beautiful feeling to put yourself in a situation where you're responsible for your own survival 
um, when you're just out in the woods and you have to cook your own food and there isn't just like, you know, skip the dishes that you can call mm-hmm. and uh, or, you know, a, a thermostat that you can turn up. You're responsible and, and you kind of need to make good decisions and, and take care of yourself. And I think the first time, I remember like the first time that, that you did the West Coast Trail, Sarah, um, the first time, it was really the first time you'd done like an overnight yeah. camping expedition. Um, and you really like it, it gave yourself, gave you like a new sense of belief in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, Completely. Yeah. And it's, it is, um, yeah, it's maybe not um, what you would call relaxation at that point, mm-hmm. but for for one thing, like the the feeling of exhausting yourself and then being able to just like lie down in your on your thermorest or in camp or just sit on a beach and feel physically tired but mentally and like spiritually stimulated, I, I think is a more full sense of relaxation and um mm-hmm. fulfillment than mm-hmm. than really anything going, else going to an all-inclusive and just laying on the beach for seven days yeah, yeah. You, well, you don't you can't really fully appreciate what i hear you saying is you can't fully appreciate that luxury that luxury unless you've like really earned it like unless you've really like put your body and experience the other side of it right yeah like and i and i don't think like if people want to go just lie on the beach for a week. Like you don't have to earn it. That is awesome. Yeah. But we definitely enjoy it. And that's nice that both of us are like this. We definitely enjoy it more when we feel like we've done the that's one and I'm then saying. the other. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But I also think, and I was just thinking about this, that part of what I really like about it is the simplicity of what you do in a day is like, we're going to get up. We know this trail. We're going to walk. We're going to feed ourselves, set up a camp. And then really I was like, well, yeah, obviously it's a lot simpler to go lie on a beach at an all-inclusive and just roll in, grab a drink, Mm -hmm. grab your buffet. But there's something about that like very um, methodical way of going through your day. You know, we get up, we, I go make breakfast the same way. I pack up the tent. He does this. We have like a set roll in the morning and then we leave and we have, he always walks in front. Like we have a very kind of methodical way of going through our hikes and our days. We know when we're going to stop and we we just have a pattern and it's quite nice just mm-hmm. to have this very simple like living walking eating sleeping that's all you do yeah i, I will say that if there had been a swim up bar at los Perros, <laughs> that would have been like a really <laughs> that being nice said. addition yeah. <laughs> um yeah we'll maybe put that in the in the review on, on TripAdvisor. <laughs> mm-hmm. well and, and for the listeners who are like okay last where you ended off the story is you were on the top of the mountain yeah yeah you did get down yeah so and, we and how how far was it there was a couple hours down to the that um the camp at pasos mm-hmm. um which was like a, a pretty steep descent and for um it was we ended up doing like 1200 meters of descent after climbing yeah. up to the pass that day which can even be harder on on the joints and everything but after we kind of climbed over that that pass and and knew that we were on our way down for one, we were looking at the at this glacier gray, which was, I don't know how long it is, I but several several kilometers long of, mm-hmm. of just like blue and white glacier, which was just stunningly beautiful. So that took the mind off. And also we would we had just climbed over, you know, and gotten through one of the most intense experiences we've ever been through. So everything felt fine then. Like we talked to other people and we're like that, who said, you know, that descent from, from Passos was like, was one of the hardest parts of the trail and for us it was just like we were (laughs) we were gleeful just kind of skipping down 
uh, because we'd kind of just gotten through a, a pretty intense experience. Um, but yeah, we had a couple, maybe an hour and a half down to Passos and then another three hours or so on to, to the camp that we actually stayed at. But one of the, the really nice things is that when we got to Passos, we probably four nights we'd been camping with the same people every night. And all of those groups that we knew had gone through within half an hour before us. You know, we could see them ahead of us going over. So we were all kind of keeping tabs on each other. And then they disappeared into the, you know, into the snow. Right. But when we got down to Passos, like, they're all there handing out warm mate mm, tea to us yeah. and, like, grab a snack. And everyone's like, what the fuck? Yeah. That was crazy. <laughs> and it was like this little bonding. We're all in this, like, huddle in this emergency shelter. There's nothing really there. And so that was a really cool part of that is that we kind of bonded with all those people of mm-hmm. when you go through something like that and you know, you know, they were like, oh, yeah, we knew you guys were back there and the clouds were closing in and we didn't know if you'd be able to see. And we're like, yeah, we saw you up there when you just disappeared. We're like, are you, are you okay? And mm-hmm. that was a really neat um, part of it too is that we didn't do it by ourselves. There were these people around us that we all kind of bonded because of this crazy <laughs> thing that just happened. And it was, you know, it was nice to know that people were kind of looking out for mm-hmm. one another. Like I, I was very, very relieved to see that other people had like signed in and we saw them 10 seconds later, but like looking through the little sign in book and like, okay, these guys have gotten there. They made it. Um, because you know, they were experienced like one of the girls was a, a hiking guide and like a backcountry guide in mm-hmm. in Australia, and another guy that she was with had been hiking the outback for like forty years, and and people that really knew what they were doing. But still, the the guy who hikes in the outback all the time, he says he normally hikes like hundred kilometers a week. Like that's wow. what he does, and he's like, yeah, up there those were killing conditions. That's mm-hmm. how he described it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you think they're killing conditions? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> That that kinship and camaraderie and and seeing seeing those people that you know we kind of got through it together and um, it was a, a a pretty incredible experience um, yeah so that was you you were looking for kind of a uh, an idea of of what what we <laughs> set out to do in in South America yeah and but, just so you so you know guys like Andrew like when he messaged me a few days after this all he said was like. Uh, you know, uh, we, we nearly never. What did you say? Like we basically, you know, you almost lost your podcast co-host. Yeah, you did, and, and and then you're like, but I gotta go, I gotta run. So talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so Andrew. But that's yeah. basically all he said is like, we got to the top of a mountain and it was like we barely got out. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me more. And he's like, talk to you later. <laughs> so this is the first time I'm hearing the story, folks. I yeah, mean, it's crazy. Yeah, and I mean, this was. The whole trip was not like that. That that was like the most extreme <laughs> part of the trip. Yeah. There were some other fun little um, misadventures and adventures that make good stories. And, and we're a little bit hairy at the time, um, but nothing quite like that because that was, that was pretty it extreme. Was pretty out there, so yeah. be- before we kind of go backwards for a second, because I do want to dig into the mindset a little bit about when you were actually planning this trip and kind of h- how you planned it and what... what what you know kind of outcome you're hoping for um hopefully not probably not that one <laughs> although you, you're now telling it with smiles on your face yeah. like look yeah. what we did we're badasses and we learned a valuable <laughs> lesson which is you know this is worth meditating on in itself mm-hmm. but um you know joseph campbell famously says you know we get the journey we're ready for mm-hmm. so when you reflect on that journey what does that quote mean to you mm. like that that day in particular or the yeah, hike just on that journey if you apply that just to that journey, you get the journey you're ready for. 
Um, because you said we kind of weren't prepared for that. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we weren't ready for it. We didn't have the gloves. We didn't have the stuff. So there was that aspect. But then I don't know. Yeah. I'll let you reflect on it. I mean, looking back, it is now the the kind of most memorable standout time of the whole six weeks mm-hmm. in in the in Chile, and um, it it was, um, yeah, it was a uh, an, a unique example of being able to push to the limit and just get through something that was that hit you out of the blue um and which mm-hmm. is what happens in life yeah because you can prepare as much as you want for anything and something else will happen mm-hmm. um sure we we didn't have like mountaineering gear which is what would have been probably ideal in that situation but we did tons of research and mm-hmm. and had the you know our bags packed perfectly we thought and and it it went sideways so but i feel like it also weirdly we got you know coming out of the hike it made us want to do more extreme hikes like Mm -hmm. that sounds crazy but Mm -hmm. we were like yeah okay what other stuff is down here and like you know once you go through something like that we're like well yeah i'll just get better rain gear and you know some snow gear and then we can go do stuff like that all the time yeah you guys aren't telling it like as a traumatic thing or with you know tears in your eyes or Mm -hmm. or like oh we'll never fucking do that again you know you're like Let's do more of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was kind of a big respect for nature mm-hmm. moment, for sure, for me. That was the most I've ever felt, you know, at the mercy of the elements. And basically, like, if it gets any worse than this, like, we were probably kind of fucked. And and needing to respect the power of when you're going out there. And really, you are totally responsible for yourself. Yeah, there's park, you know, park rangers around, but they're not, you know, they weren't telling us really the conditions that were up there. You need to be responsible for yourself. But it kind of gave me more confidence of like, yeah, we just need the gear and then we can we can pretty well go wherever we want now. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, part of it for me is is when I when I, you know, the way you described it, you know, at that one point where you're climbing up and you're literally just in survival mode. Mm-hmm. right? You're not reflecting on, you know, really anything like you're just w- literally one foot in front of the other mechanically mm-hmm. moving, just trying to finish this. Like in that sense, like, you know, this is the journey. You are ready for it because here you are doing it. Mm-hmm. And so like it makes, I think about just life and, and people who, you know, they get a cancer diagnosis, you know, they get something and they just like, are like, I'm not ready. You know, I wasn't this. Well, you are, you can do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like you're ready for it because you have to be ready for it is kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't, I'm not saying the universe just gives us things that gives you cancer because you're ready for it or, or mm-hmm. gives you this because you're ready for it. But I'm just saying like, I almost think Joseph Campbell was saying like, you know, we get the thing we're ready for. We we learn we're ready for it mm-hmm. because we have to do it. Mm-hmm. And and we can't stay in the tent. Yeah. Right? Totally. We can't just lay in the tent and be like, well, no, I'm opting out because mm-hmm. there's no, like, out is peril. Yeah, right? for sure. Like, you have to get up. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Another thing that comes to mind is that it's only the mind that, that is, like, holding us back. Like, the, yeah. our physical bodies mm-hmm. oh, have sure. basically, like, a universe of possibility like we can do anything physically that we can really try to do it's it's only our mind Mm -hmm. and our our self-doubt that creates limits yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and so here you are you've emerged you know and and tell the tale but you learned at the time like you're you are stronger than you think now you'll you'll glean lessons from the journey 
right? Probably mm-hmm. next time you would do it a little differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't sound like you have regret for the, the horrible conditions. Mm-hmm. Definitely not. Which is interesting in itself. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> most people. Yeah. Well, maybe not most people. Who knows, right? Well, this is something that we actually brought up multiple times when yeah. we were away over the whole six weeks as we would talk about memory markers, something being a memory marker. And I think you could probably talk to that a bit more better than I can. But, you know, when we got home, I felt like we were gone forever. Mm-hmm. It felt like six weeks was so long. Yeah. And so many people were like, wow, it feels like you just left. And it's that, like, I think that's something that we look for when we go on these kind of trips is that we make memory markers all the time. Like, mm. I don't like days where I don't do anything. I mm. like days where we're out and I will remember this day. And it honestly stretches time in a totally different way. Yeah, so it's a it's an idea that was introduced to me by our friend Andy Robertson, mm. um, who uh, was in- instrumental in us getting the podcast going to begin with. And basically a memory marker is a, a new experience that sets in your mind um as as something unique and so it enables you to feel like more things have occurred and and it gets away from that idea of time just flying by and when you don't do when you are in a routine and it's like you get up at seven and you go to work at eight thirty and you go home at five and you have dinner at six fifteen, and you watch tv from seven till nine and you go to bed and then you do it all over again you're creating zero new memory markers and so that's how life kind of just goes on and time flies and when your mind is experiencing is, is really switched on when you're in a new place when you're doing different things um it it creates these memory markers and basically live differently and and have a different perception of how Mm. time passes so i have a new theory on time (laughs) i developed a new theory on time yeah that's very similar to that so i always think that time flies because things are going well like time never flies when you're experiencing like pain Mm -hmm. or struggle or heartache like do a plank okay time's not going to fly by right when you're when when you're going through that so sometimes like when i look back and i'm like we all like you know we want to live for as long as we can and we're like oh time's flying by and you almost say it like you don't say it like oh hey time's flying by Mm -hmm. you say oh time flying by um i always i've started to look at it as maybe it's flying by because i'm actually living a good life like I'm in the zone, I'm in flow, hmm. I'm doing a lot of good things. Because the only time, the only time when time drags is when things suck. When you're just going to the nine to five and showing up mechanically doing a job you don't believe in and you don't like. When you're stuck, you know, watching something that you don't like, or you're you're just going through a tough time. It time drags. Mm-hmm. So if it's going fast, maybe that's a good sign. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I say. I don't know if that's going to be a published in a science paper, <laughs> but it makes sense to me because, you know, it's like we always say, like, you know, the podcast flies by. Whoa, mm-hmm. that was, I can't believe it was two hours. It felt like two minutes, you know. Who knows? Maybe that's a good thing, you yeah. know, and, and it sucks because we want the good to last, but it just goes by quickly. Well, it doesn't. That, the, the thing about time is we have zero control over it. It's yeah. just going to continue to tick by and we're going to get older every second. And at and the same speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So it's we can, a, it is we an can, illusion. Yeah, we can think however we want of it. Yeah. it it's, it's, it's all subjective. Yeah, yeah it it's is. ticking. Um, but I think for us, um, we would choose being on top of a mountain in a snowstorm over 
sitting around watching TV and and letting time and letting our lives escape us really mm-hmm. putting ourselves into new situations and having a full life is is um is at the top of our list of of values that we want to um experience and that we want to kind of determine our life um so even though you know there was some peril and and it was cold and it was extreme and um and we were in other situations where there was some uncertainty or you know i got hit by a dirt bike (laughs) when i was when we were mountain biking and that actually wasn't that bad but it it was close um i did hit the like the cross piece on the bike in in a place where I'm quite sensitive, and it was the I worst. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was the worst part of it. Um, but and then the guy didn't even stop. I actually like really? went. Yeah. I f- basically like s- swerved and then like put my bike down w- with myself on it. But like it was like a controlled, yeah, yeah, uh, controlled escape. Um, but I did. I there was a bit of a, a bump on the on the way down. Um, <laughs> but the guy didn't even stop on his dirt bike. Just yeah, he came around the corner, yeah, yeah. clipped me. I went down. Not fun to watch. No, being the person the, on the bike behind you. There was a car that came by behind us that stopped, and because they'd seen it, and they were like, "You okay? Do you need help?" Yeah, well, that's one reason to be kind, right there. You might end up on a podcast if you're not. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so going back, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but but going back to sort of you know how many how many months ahead did you plan this trip and and maybe take us through just like what are, when you sit down to plan a trip what is your mindset like do you just whip open an atlas or do people have atlases anymore i don't log on and and look at stuff <laughs> or do you describe the kind of experience you want to have is it geographic based maybe just throw that at you yeah so we were probably planning this for i don't know 8 10 months or something a, wow. a long time um that is a long time and it was, I think, it was August first that we decided that we would book the plane tickets. August first of last year, okay. um, there was like <laughs> a cut. Remember. There was a cutoff date of, of like, are we going to do this? Is the business going well enough that we oh, can take off yeah. for six mo- six That's weeks? Yeah. Um, long time planning, and in terms of the actual choice to to do this trip. The, the lure of Patagonia, of this like a bit almost mythical, almost Lord of the Rings-like mm-hmm. place um, that this incredible hiking exists there and very cool wilderness and, and unlike anywhere else on the planet, that was really what, what drew us in. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, there's all these other incredible experiences in, in this cool country of Chile where it's a very thin country but like thousands of kilometers long and there's um, amazing mountains, and there's rafting, and there's rainforests and rain... deserts, and like every ecosystem. Vol- volcanoes. The whole <laughs> yeah. the whole country is like ridged by the Andes, and so you basically just got the ocean and the mountain range, and it's yeah one of the best places in the world for outdoor experiences. So mm-hmm. that well, was definitely the the big draw. Well, an exploration, like mm-hmm. a just exploration and adventure, and it's and you know. Just for our history buffs out there, I mean, 
you know, Ernest Shackleton himself ended up right where you were mm-hmm. when he when he um, was looking for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. When his ship, the Endurance, got stuck in the ice, and then he jumped on his little dinghy, or mm-hmm. it was bigger than a dinghy, you know, lifeboat and, though. Yeah, yeah, lifeboat took you know eight hundred mile journey, and then ended up right where you guys were in, in Punta Arenas. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, that's... I need some help. Yeah. You know, and, and that's one of the most famous stories in exploration. And you guys, you were right there, so that gives mm-hmm. the listeners an idea of the kind mm-hmm. of place we're talking I mean, about. Yeah. That and the I mean, Strait of Magellan, like Punta Arenas, yeah. you stand there and you look out at the water, and it's the the whole strait. And that's where, I mean, hundreds of boats were shipwrecked when they were trying to find right. their way through to the Pacific Ocean for the very first time. Like, they didn't know it existed until they got through there. They finally found a way through. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of really interesting naval history down there, that too. Well, and ex- explorer history. Yeah, Magellan, yeah. His, he named the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, oh, okay. for Pacific as, as, like, calm because of how intense the seas were because of the wind uh, mm-hmm. through Patagonia. Mm-hmm. Um, he named it pacific is as in calm um charles darwin sailed through there on the on the beagle yeah. um, down there, yeah. yeah so a ton of crazy history that was was definitely part of the draw and then yeah we went as far north as the atacama desert which is the driest desert in the world that's where i got hit by the dirt bike okay um and because we were doing mountain biking through these crazy gorges and valleys that basically looked like another world they're named like the valley de la luna the 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 valley of mars as well because they just look like they're on a different planet yeah just barren planet complete barren like no plant life no animal life um just crazy rock formations and like red earth and looks exactly like tatooine wow yeah yeah Mm mm-hmm and and was super fun to bike through but also incredibly hot (laughs) and dry uh unlike any other conditions like five minutes after getting off the plane my nose started bleeding because it was just (laughs) it was was so arid i mean how do you pack for such a trip well well, that's the thing soaked hot and dry i mean snow i mean literally everything yeah Yeah, and we were going down with a backpack (laughs) with one backpack (laughs) with all our like our tent and our sleeping bags and your thermos and your pots and all your camping gear Mm -hmm. plus then you need clothes for like it being 35 degrees and it being Minus 10. So, you know, as you look ahead to plan, you know, your next trip and things like that, um, do you exclusively just want to have those kind of experiences where your your body's tested and you're exploring? Or do you also plan to have ones where you just like the proverbial lay on the beach or go on a cruise or walk arm in arm through Europe and, you know, have wine, you know, and with a baguette? <laughs> so one of the things we did towards the end of the trip um, was basically write out a list of like the values that we appreciate most about traveling. Oh, there you go. Um, and and then we, because we were planning our ne- next trip, basically, <laughs> um, and we we had a, a list of of some of the things that were we really enjoyed about being away, um, and like proximity to a warm ocean was on there, and uh, a a combination of like culinary experiences and ability to camp um and and basically like kind of rated all of the things that we enjoy most about being away um and about other parts of the world and then we kind of like chose our or at least try to narrow the list down mm-hmm. based on our our values so that was a, a cool experience yeah, and, i've never and done that before. no it kind of just popped into my head as, as something that would be helpful because it we do live like the the planet is very accessible right now 
Um, a lot of people can get on a plane and go just about anywhere. And, and that's, I have a little bit of a um, conflict internally with that and with mm-hmm. the impact. Like we, yeah, we've talked about that. Before. Yeah. And, and, yeah. you know, we want to go and see the world and all its beauty and all the animals. And, and then like the worst thing that we can do for the planet is, is jump on a plane, be on planes. Be on planes. Yeah. So that, I mean, that was part of the conversation as well. Like, you know, what, what is out there that, that is a little less, um, impactful mm-hmm. carbon wise. Um, and how can we <laughs> go places that are maybe, maybe it's just one short plane or maybe we can mm-hmm. drive there. Maybe. I'm just laughing because I'm just, I'm just guessing <laughs> so many of our listeners are like, wow, they planned trips different than us. <laughs> I never consider like, what are the places that are less carbon wise, you know, or what are the, you know, but like, you know, the part of it too is remote, yeah. like, if you go on a vacation every three years, you know, go on whatever kind of vacation you want. Andrew won free flights from WestJet. So we're leaving on a trip 10 weeks after we get home from a trip. So it's not like, you know, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this trip and and you're good for three years. You're not flying. It's like, we just took like 10 planes in six weeks or somewhere around there. And now in 10 weeks, we've got a a free flight somewhere else. So it's, it's kind of more important to me because we've been doing so much of it lately of figuring out a, a, less selfish way i guess of I, doing I do it. think it's kind of hypocritical to like love the planet so yeah. much but then like poison it as, to the most way we possibly can by by flying across the world but you know that being said you know just to be nice nice on yourself <laughs> here, you know uh it's about living in balance right like for you, sure you guys do sure you you fly you have to fly that's you know unless there's a more eco-friendly way to do it and i guess greta would, would tell greta, us that I know. technically yeah. there is a more yeah. eco-friendly yeah. way if you have the time sounds yeah. like a lot of work and she got in a lot of shit for it for some reason <laughs> but that being said uh you you tend to live softly when you're here mm-hmm. you do tend to bike everywhere you don't eat meat which is a huge yeah. you know you know um you know, uh, stress on the planet for sure. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, th- there is, there is the balance that, that I think take cold showers, you do, you know, yeah, less, right? less exactly. electricity. Although yeah. balanced out by my very long, hot showers. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. that might just kind of even up. <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, I see it as balance. Like I get what you're saying and that's mm-hmm. good. That's probably why it makes you a good person and, and that you have good values. But at the same time there, until there's a better way, mm-hmm. like you, you still got to get from point A to point B. Right? Totally. It, the one thing is though, we, we often kind of like fantasize about getting on a plane going to somewhere exotic and like there i'll be able to relax right. and if you know if mm-hmm. i go to mexico if i fly to to chile if i go to the greek islands then i can relax like i but i think a lot of that is mindset and probably like marketing and advertising that's been sure. pumped into our heads and like we can only really be truly content on a vacation if we fly halfway across the world and so i do think there's something to let's explore our own backyards more like how often do you hear somebody say that they've never been somewhere within 100 kilometers of them that's like a a major tourist destination because people fly all over the world to go Mm -hmm. see it um but we don't really value the things that are kind of in our own backyards I mean, you, the irony of traveling is in the summertime, you know, Vancouver Island is overrun with tourists. Yeah. Right. And, and so they're all traveling to the place we live in. And then we're traveling away, maybe even to their places, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, which is crazy, right? You know, when you go to Europe in the summer, the locals hardly are even there. They get away in the summer because they're like so it's many crazy, tourists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's just 
So there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but I but I love your your emphasis on the idea of like if you think that to be experienced transcendence and like meaning and um, to be or or physical challenge or all the things that make you travel that you have to jump in a plane and travel all the way to the bottom of South America mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to to experience that. Obviously, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. You can experience yeah. that there, but you you are experiencing that there. Though. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also experience it there, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> For sure. Um, but yeah, it, to get to a place in your mind of fulfillment, you don't have to go anywhere. You just have to get to that place in your own mind. Yeah, of course. Um, and I think that's a... Yeah. Like we were just talking about this with a friend last night, and she phrased it like, every time I go away, I get so excited about my life again. And I just, like you, she's like, I step away from my life and I think, right. about, I want to do this when I go home and I want to do that. I want to change this. And, and you get really invigorated and that happens to me every time we go away. Every time we go away. I come home, I'm like, yep, I want to learn this language because I couldn't speak it the whole time we were there and that felt terrible. And I'm going to get into running more and I'm going to, I'm going to do this and I'm going to, and you just get really excited about it. And That's a great point. then you come home and you, sometimes you do those things and sometimes you don't. You just get back into your day to day. So I wonder if part of it is... Like figuring out how to take a step back from your day-to-day life without actually like leaving your day-to-day mm. life. You know, maybe we don't have to actually get on a plane and leave to take that step back and rethink our lives, but we don't maybe take the time. Yeah. You know, Andrew, you asked, a, you know, you're the master of asking great questions. So I'm trying mm. to channel you here, but you asked a great question um, on our past episode, actually last week um, to uh, Hannah and you asked her, you know, spirituality is so important to her and you're like, you know, what do you feel like um, is missing in the physical world that you have to find in the spiritual world? Mm-hmm. And the the question, you know, now for you is, um, what do you feel like is missing here that you have to go to Chile to experience, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think that's a good question for all of us is, is what's what's necessarily missing in your life right now that you think a vacation is going to cure or solve? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean the answer, and I kind of found it in Chile was like nothing. There's, there are things around here. Um, if you know, if we want to kill ourselves due to hypothermia, like we don't have to go very far to do that. <laughs> we could do hikes a lot closer to home in <laughs> <Yeah>. January. <laughs> yeah, um, but it it is it's motivating to know that that feeling that we got from from some of those experiences, they're not far away at all. Like they they are within our grasp and and it's motivating me to to go out and do more winter activities here because it's it's not even it's not the place it's the it's mm-hmm. the feeling it's the experience that Absolutely. that that we can yeah. get um and it is it's got to do with spirituality and and the connection with with something greater and and yeah part of me was definitely conflicted if not pained by um the negative impact that i was having on this beautiful planet that i was in awe of by um by going to those places i think we talked about that while we were away i was like we should learn how to snowshoe like we gotta just because for us a big thing is i couldn't you know we can't go away in the summer because of our business and we love hiking and that's when you were asking earlier about like what do you look for in a vacation i want to get my blood pumping that's what i like something that excites me that feels like adventure Yeah. yeah And it's hard to do that in January here. You know, all the hikes and things we do are kind of springtime to, to fall. But then after we had that that mountain experience, I was like, let's take up snowshoeing or something. Like, there's a lot of things we can do here. You know, we went kayaking in January before. Like, we don't really actually have to leave. We can just gear up and be good to go 
12 months of the year. You know, it's it's crazy. I just as I'm reflecting on, on what you guys have been talking about, it's just, it's almost sad to think that if we don't al- allow ourselves to experience those mountain moments, we don't evolve as people. Mm-hmm. Like we stay here. And when I say here, I'm not saying it's, it's you know, it's worse necessarily or, you know, Andrew and Sarah are better than you because they experienced a mountain. It's just as people, we only evolve through those kind of challenges and through those moments when it's like, I just have no choice but to keep going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Outside the comfort zone. Uh, yeah. That, that's uh, like where we have our greatest learning is outside of the comfort zone. And when we prevent that, like when we plan a trip and, and like try and micromanage every single de- detail... So we don't have those moments on the mountain where, Mm -hmm. oh, we're not prepared. Like that's the worst possible thing that could ever happen. Um, Then then we we eliminate any possibility of evolving as people, Hmm. right? Because we just micromanage and control our whole experience that that we don't don't maybe change or or experience that transcendence that we Mm -hmm. can experience through opening up ourselves to, you know, a blizzard on the top of the mountain that's Mm -hmm. not planned, but realizing we actually do have the the strength to get through it right mm-hmm. again cliche and i'm uh it's normally your role to bring in the cliches know, but, but yeah. if it doesn't kill you it makes you stronger yeah, right that's, that's right. it is that whole idea of pushing yourself and reaching limits that you didn't know existed and it's motivating and, and it, it does make us want to continue to do that and and know and and maybe it is that little bit of piece of confidence like you know mm-hmm. we we can get through it we just have to be focused we have to set our minds like on the on the purpose and and just keep pushing in every step forward um is is all we really need to worry about right now but even in a a less dramatic sense you're just saying that about evolving as people even like not speaking the language and having to figure out how to get on a bus even just putting yourself in that situation you need to be more patient (laughs) less self self self-conscious because you're going to look stupid. Like we look stupid a lot of times trying to get on buses and doing things wrong and, and being confused and not being able to ask questions when we didn't know what was going on. And even just those little things just make you kind of like just relax a little bit more, you know, mm-hmm. let go of the control a little bit more. I want to ask you a little bit about that. You mentioned, you know, having some travel anxiety a little bit. Mm-hmm. When you think about the moments when you're traveling, when you have anxiety, what are those moments? Usually they're... Like when I'm on a bus and I don't know where the bus is going to stop. And there's small things. Like we is were it because to... you have to go to the bathroom? Oh my God, so many times <laughs> I have to go to the bathroom. Seriously, Andrew <laughs> could tell you so many stories about me and my, P- tiny, my tiny bladder. Pee machine? <laughs> he calls me a pee machine when we're traveling. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there is, that actually is a pretty big source of anxiety sometimes. Because I'm like, what if I have to go to the bathroom? And then I can get on a plane for 10 hours and pee one time. But if I get on a bus that doesn't have a bathroom on it, and I can't actually speak Spanish right. to ask about, do we stop at gas station? Do we not? Within 15 minutes, I have to go to the bathroom because it's just like this mental thing where you're like, I don't have control over this situation. Right. And the same thing with, um, I'm trying to think, there was one time in Santiago, we were trying to go to the airport. So we had to get to the bus station and then we, after taking a night bus, which we basically, you know, barely slept, and then get to the bus station and then get a cab to the airport. And the bus was late and we had a pretty small window and it was a pretty big airport. And it was just, I had a little map out on my phone and I knew the bus station was over here and we were going the complete opposite direction. I'm like watching the map, watching the time, just sitting there being like, should we get off? Should we get a cab? Mm-hmm. You know, so those kind of things get me a lot where I'm, I think I have the plan and then it deviates and I don't know what to do. So those are more anxiety producing for sure. Because anxiety is a part of traveling. 
Like, oh, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. care. There's no way you can go on a tr- trip, especially that far, and not take anxiety with you mm-hmm. in, in your in your you know luggage. Mm-hmm. What does it look like for you? Yeah, anxiety is not as familiar of a term for me because um, I don't feel like I really get anxious in those situations. I get frustrated. Okay. Um, but yeah, I see. see yeah, anxiety is just, um, it's not the term that I, that comes to mind because I don't think that anxiety needs to come with you. Um, well, I, I, yeah. I understand that it's a new experience and there's a loss of control. And I think that is a big part of anxiety. I mean, that's part of your experience of anxiety, right? Yeah, it's, it's, absolutely. It, it has some ties to control. control. For sure. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, so like, not to say that I was zen the whole time by any means um yeah when that weird caterpillar bit you and, and you were starting to swell up you weren't anxious you were just frustrated i would call that anxiety i would say you <laughs> would were you? experiencing Maybe, some anxiety are you there. resisting the label of anxiety because i see you i see you saying well you know like are you thinking i'm not a nervous nelly or something is so is concern the same as anxiety I would, I mean... We've talked about this a lot enough on the podcast, and it's funny, we're just now coming up with the definition. Anxiety, I think, is that, that like, um, sense that you don't have control. Mm -hmm. So... It's like this, it's almost like this this building's dread. Yeah. Like, I am am soon to be totally out of control. I would say concern happens in my head, and anxiety happens in my chest. Like, it's a body thing for me. So, like, constriction, Mm -hmm. right? Harder to breathe. Yeah. yeah, Totally. So then, yeah. Anxiety was not happening. Okay. And I think I got stung by it, a caterpillar because when, when we took a photo of it and then we really like zoomed it in and, and there's quills basically on the back of this caterpillar. And there was quill marks, probably like 30 of them on my leg and ankle from where it had sucked on. And then I and I also I got a reaction in my fingers from where I pulled the thing off. Wow. And so then we, we had to get back to our um, Airbnb and... And I was like, we need to go and, and look this thing up. I need to make sure it's not poisonous. So was I anxious then? No. I was concerned. I was like, I I really want to make sure that this is not poisonous and it's not going to my central nervous system. Sarah might think I was freaking out a bit, but I was just like, no. I basically just like... You don't have to have anxiety, but I would argue that <laughs> that we all have it. I like was... it's, it's a part of the human experience. Now, it might not be chronic. It might not be mm-hmm. something that you deal with very often, but we all have it. It's normal. Like it, it's, yeah. it's been with us for millions of years. It's there to help us actually. I actually do think, um, I was just remembering this now, that when we talked about after... Like that evening when we came down off the pass, we were talking about um, feeling kind of short of breath. And because we, we both were basically like, there was a point where we started to realize this is getting bad. And should we turn back? And should we not turn back? Can we make it? Can we shelter somewhere? And we were kind of all four of us separately having these thoughts, but no one was saying it. And I was like, yeah, I just felt like all of a sudden I couldn't breathe. It was mm. just like I had to really yeah, focus yeah. on these deep breaths because I had this sort of rising feeling and I was forcing myself not to think about it and you said you were kind of experiencing the same thing and i think that's just not recognizing anxiety so Mm. your anxiety maybe only happens when there's like a real actual danger yeah but that's sort of that feeling Mm -hmm. yeah because i do remember that feeling Uh going up like kind of need to just like get feeling calm again because like the it's it's not helpful to be Mm -hmm. like to to have the mind really start to go and spin out of control. Well, no, because because you know that 
with anxiety, you hit that point of no return, right? Mm-hmm. And then you just spiral down. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. maybe lose consciousness if it gets yeah. bad enough. I mean, that's never happened to I've me. I've never had a panic attack. But, but no, but I mean, it can go that way. Like mm-hmm. your mind is that malleable where it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, but uh, but I just think um, at least some, some kind of anxiety is a part of most people's travel. Mm-hmm. Like whether it's like they're afraid they're going to miss their flight. So they get, they get up super early and mm-hmm. then that throws off your system and you're at the airport and you're like, oh, my flight's been delayed. There's just, you're, who am I going to have to sit by on the mm-hmm. plane, you know, like and... I was wanting to know how you guys deal with 10-hour flights because I was thinking, for someone who has to be moving all the time, how do you manage sitting for 10 I, hours? I will say that, like, <laughs> we're pretty good-natured and, like, easygoing, like, especially yeah, being maybe. together. Like, we, we have a good, like, Sarah gets far more excitable, <laughs> um, but it's kind of fun <laughs> and and is is a little bit more prone to, like, the spikes um, which can be anxiety, but is mostly just like glee and playfulness. Yeah. Um, There's a fine line between those two things, <laughs> actually. You can tip over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, even on like, we were really excited to do a night bus and, and like we get, a, we get happy. We look forward to airport time because it's like, huh, you can kind of just like not have to worry about checking emails mm-hmm. or you can like nice. just go for an airport beer and then actually have time to read. When I'm at home, sure. I lament the, the fact that I really only carve out reading time for myself when I get into bed. And then if I've had a big day... You fall asleep right And you, yeah. I get like three paragraphs. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. um, So yeah, it's it the, the travel time is like, oh, it's an opportunity to like get a lot of reading done or listen to podcasts or audiobooks or do some writing or whatever it is it's like forced downtime yeah and that might only be applicable to people like us who overwork themselves on a fairly regular basis with like huge long event days and then i teach and you guys do the podcast and so for us like we're not amazing at downtime when we're at home so it's forced downtime and we like it but that maybe is not like the most balanced yeah and that makes sense like after your like multi like week tracks like the whole idea of 10 hours of sitting in a nice comfortable seat in an airplane well kind of comfortable um (laughs) while being served you know probably kind of nice you know you can read tolkien as you did you can watch movies you can you know do all that kind of stuff so it probably was nice Mm -hmm. so part of it is just embracing your experience whatever it is Mm -hmm. we've talked about this quite a few times when we were in travel situations too, that whole Buddhist idea that suffering is wanting things to be different than mm-hmm. they are. Oh, and so, sure. you know, if we're sitting on the plane being like, oh my God, we have this. I'm already tired. I have the, yeah. you know, in Toronto, I got it through customs. We've got another five hour flight. Like, oh, but that doesn't change the no. reality of what you have to you do. You still right? have to fly. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's still going to happen whether you look forward to it or dread it. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, mindset controls experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked about flying. Um, is there any other stories that we missed that are worth? The the one other yeah the one that you you were curious about that yeah. we didn't tell. Were you lost at sea or something? We were <laughs> <laughs> mountain and sea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we um, we were s- stranded at sea. I think is is the uh, he was pretty lost. <laughs> yeah, Andrew doesn't like to use the word lost. Well, I know, but I we've we've been, been over this true. before. It's true. But I've also, used it by mistake. In fact, he says, learned my there, lesson. He says on an earlier episode, there's been times where I didn't know where I was for a while, but I wasn't lost. And I was like, that's a definition of being lost. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I disagree. Is it only if you don't return that you're lost? Like, like if you cut? die, okay, you were lost. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't. So 
this that's it's probably what the captain of this of this boat was thinking because he was like i'm not lost i just don't know where i am uh-huh. um because he had no fucking idea where he was yeah. yeah so basically we were taking um a little ferry like a 20 passenger ferry or so uh maybe 25 to 28 including like you can sit outside a little bit um to this incredibly remote beautiful stunning beach they call it like the caribbean of chile Mm. um it's perfect crescent beach um with like a little river that comes in behind it um only accessible by boat there's no no roads anywhere near there um very tropical looking just gorgeous and and super unique because despite chile having five thousand kilometers of coastline um there's not actually like a, a ton of a nice location. beaches. Yeah. Um, so we were taking the boat in, uh, planning to leave at like 9 a.m., got down there. The captain actually picked us up. Mm-hmm. It, he he <laughs> was driving down. He mm. stopped. We didn't know he was the captain, but he stopped and picked us up. And he was this incredibly friendly guy, just jovial, like sticking his hand out, and, out of the window, waving at yeah. every single person. Yeah, I think he person. knew everyone in town. Yeah, and so. had a huge <laughs> smile and, like, joked around with everyone. So he drove us down to the little dock, and um, a bunch of people piled on, and we we started to head out, and it was, a, um, it was a warm morning, but it was really foggy. And we're like, well, okay, I guess, you know, maybe it's normal for early, early on in this time of year. Um, and so we kind of started we got out of the harbor and it was like really foggy. Like we thought the visibility was bad at the top of John Gardner pass, but it was like, you couldn't see anything. Um, but you know, we're like, well, the captain, captain obviously knows what he's doing. He knows where he's going. I'm so trusting in these things. I just assume everybody always is competent. He's a professional. Yeah. (laughs) It's his boat. He's probably spent more time on water than he has on land is, is at least what we're telling ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody's wearing life jackets. Actually, not everybody. Like, 90% of people had a life jacket. <laughs> Safety standards in, in Chile are yeah. a little bit different than in yeah. Canada. Um, even, like, getting on and off the boat, you had to, like, time it to, like, kind of leap onto yeah, the they dock. they would never do that no. here. Can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah, it was like the wave would, like, swell like, in. Yeah. Jump! Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, everyone. Yeah. Um, and so... Wow. <laughs> we were kind of we were getting out there and um and the boat started like laboring a little bit and the engine seemed to be not totally operational um <laughs> and like the the boat should be like a little bit like tipped back yeah. and so the engine kind of just like exactly. keeps yeah, yeah. Ke- stays in the water the whole time yeah. and it it was like coming up out of the water well, and the waves were pretty big so every time it rolled over a wave and then the engine came out, like it would dip out of the water and it would just stop. Mm-hmm. So we were going nowhere. Yeah. So we'd gotten out of the harbor and we'd probably been going for like 10 minutes or so. And then there was clearly something going on with the engine. And the captain was kind of going back to check on it and coming up. and Started sweating profusely. Yeah. And then he, he was no longer like the, the happy-go-lucky <laughs> the guy. Captain. Yeah. yeah. Um, and his, his wife was on board. She was the first mate. Um, and she was looking pretty concerned and, and then we basically were just sitting out in the ocean with zero visibility and just the waves were, they're pretty good swells and like rolling waves. And we were just, the boat was kind of just sitting out there swaying, like at the mercy of the waves and, and the, the engine was no longer doing anything. Well, and luckily you two don't, um, struggle with seasickness. Right? No, we're not prone to seasickness. Which is huge. But other people were, that oh, was, were they, that, there were quite were they, a few people throwing hitting, up hitting the back yeah oh. yeah. yeah 
basically like everyone. I would say more people than not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even I, like I worked on a cruise ship for two years and never got sick. Um, but even I was like starting to feel, and maybe it was a little bit of discomfort mentally that was like coming down into my stomach. A little bit like, of uh, anxiety. Maybe, maybe a little, little anxiety. Bit. <laughs> well, <laughs> or concern. Yeah. Probably concern. <laughs> But it had been... I don't like this two-on-one dynamic that's going on here. (laughs) Um, But it was probably 20 minutes or so that we we had just been sitting out there with no sign of going anywhere. And it was like, okay, my one worry, which is not anxiety, (laughs) but my one worry is that that somebody else, like another boat comes through the the fog and just plows into the side of us because... How is anyone going to see us? How far could you see? You like nowhere. Like you couldn't see. Like past the boat, you can't see. Basically, wow. Um, it was wow. really thick. And you're sitting fog. here rocking back. Yeah. yeah, that would be. Yeah. And, and we can't ask anyone what's going on. No, because nobody spoke didn't, any English. You didn't really have to ask. No, though. it's true. It's true. <laughs> Does anyone know what's happening? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not moving. Okay, <laughs> that's what's happening. <laughs> but even when it's like, okay, are, is someone coming for us? Can, is your radio right, working? Right. Mm-hmm. What's As, a plan? Yeah, Sarah needs a plan. <laughs> yeah, I like yeah. to know what's going on. Yeah. Well, and then we saw the captain climb up onto the onto the roof of the boat and I'm like he's gonna light a fucking flare off <laughs> and he like you just see the streaks of color wow. coming off the top of the boat um, as he's up there with his flare <laughs> um, and I was like well okay now we're we're actually we're lost at sea <laughs> yeah. how far were you from land well we had no idea oh, okay because <laughs> you can't see we actually like pulled out your map app on your phone and you, <laughs> you can kind of help them like, was, just yeah this? because this boat maps. this boat's not equipped with gps or like yeah. sonar or radar or anything like they can't tell where they are in relation to the dock but was the fog the problem or was the engine problem right? well the engine was yeah 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 because yeah. i assume he would have just kind of gone the route and, think, and, yeah. and known the route and mm-hmm. hopefully not known where the rocks were and everything mm-hmm. um yeah so anyways i think his the first mate um, called some guys from back in the town, and so after twenty minutes or so sitting out there, um, we we saw through the fog a very small like fishing boat, basically <laughs> with two guys on it, um, they, who were our saviors. They rescued us. They like tossed ropes and basically tugged us back <laughs> into the dock, um, where there was like police. Um, like Coast Guard, <laughs> yeah. uh, there was like Marine, um, like transport, yeah. like Department of Transportation kind of people, all like who had appeared you there. Made the local paper, you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you could read it, then yeah, you would have. Because <laughs> we're like, maybe this stuff happens all the time. Let me get back to the dock. Yeah, it doesn't look like it. Yeah. And then, of course, uh-huh. we wait for three hours. We waited for two hours. She said, another, basically with the Google Translate app, thank yeah. you, Google, another yeah. boat will come, like if you still want to go. Uh, in an hour and a half or something like that. Waited for three hours to get back on the same boat, which we watched him tinkering with the engine. Oh. And then, so the end, of course, we wait for so long. We're like, well, we're going to go now. And we just look over and they're like, yeah, come like back on the boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so we did get back on the boat and, and we got safely to Kalita Condor, which was stunningly beautiful. Um, I will say the way back quickly, the way back on the boat also was a little bit hairy. Um, and made us just doubt. Very concerned. Yeah. yeah. Worried. <laughs> well, I wasn't. We weren't really worried on the way back. No. But it made us 
think that okay maybe these guys don't really know what they're doing because it was raining and and a bit stormy the waves weren't actually as bad as on the way there um but to clear the windshield of the rain um the first mate his wife was just like crouched on top with a squeegee, wow. with a handheld squeegee, <laughs> squeegeeing the front window so Constantly. that he could see yep. for for yeah. the entire two hour voyage back with like just on top of the boat with like she's not strapped in. No. I don't no. even think she had a life jacket on. She did not have a life jacket on. And she, she was, was just like hanging on to something. She was in like jeans and like a fairly nice sweater. Yeah. And was just squeegeeing the whole way back. Um in the yeah. in the open ocean, yeah. because yeah. that's the only <laughs> way I guess that he could keep track of where again, he was going. That guarantee that wasn't her first time doing that. No, for so sure. probably for her, it's just like, well, this is what we do. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's Tuesday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm the Up I go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, mm-hmm. that's crazy. So yeah, unique experiences, memory markers created all mm-hmm. around, and um, it was our. Our version of uh, an amazing—I don't think "vacation" is the word to use no, for it. In fact, none of the listeners will use that word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was adventure a, and yeah. a, a series sure. of experiences, and and I yeah. I do think that it, for me to feel fully fulfilled and like I'm getting my most um, the best crack at at this time we do have on the planet, um, it is filling it with with unique experiences and adventures and 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 doing stuff that puts us a little bit outside our comfort zone and and maybe makes us a little bit anxious sometimes too mm-hmm. that was a go. perfect note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting and i think one of the takeaways from this for all the listeners is know why you travel totally you know know your value like what are your values what are you trying to accomplish mm-hmm. um you know keep in the back of your mind that you know you you can't go away to experience transcendence if you can't experience it here mm-hmm. you know but at the same time know why you're traveling know know why you're going there what what boxes is it checking for you and uh i think that's it that will make for a good trip i would think totally yeah yeah it comes back to values i think it's that's the the key to living a fulfilled life is is understanding what you value more than anything else and prioritizing that absolutely absolutely sarah you've been listening to all our episodes and now you've been a guest on our show how was your experience it was great you got some nice tea here for me it's very well taken care of yeah are you gonna listen to the episode (laughs) maybe not we'll see (laughs) might be the one i miss (laughs) well thanks for coming on yeah and thanks for sharing those stories guys that that was awesome Mm -hmm. it's it's good to have you back until next time happy travels Well, that's the episode. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you liked what you heard here, check out the website. ObstacleCoursePodcast.com. That's where you can subscribe, check out the show notes. If we have one request, we'd ask you to leave us a kind review and perhaps share this episode. It's not because we have fragile egos. Well. But because we want other great people like you to benefit. Speaking of great people, we have a list of people we want to thank. We've got our senior technical advisor, Andy Robertson. Our media partner and web designer, Sticky Media. And of course our host and snack coordinator, Judy Langford. Oh, peanut butter cookies. You can continue the conversation on Instagram and Facebook at Obstacle Course Podcast and on Twitter at Obstacle Pod. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Keep pushing through those obstacles.